That's not bad. I believe we're ready. Am I at an angle? You are at an angle. That would be your webcam. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're live. <laughs> after after much difficulty. I feel like I should I feel like we should tell people that we've done a couple of other podcasts, but we've had some audio difficulty, so we're gonna like pick this up now. Sure. Yeah, yeah. we've we've we're we're at a fifty percent success rate. And, and I will put that blame one hundred percent on me. Thomas is not the one who is inept with the technology. It is totally me. So Or I would that being just said this this wasn't a test of my ability. <laughs> I wouldn't say that it's there. I will say you do have crappy internet, though, so. It's better. Oh, my God. So, I took a picture of it yesterday so I remember because I think you're going to find it hilarious that my my download speed was 46.4 megabits per second and my upload speed is 38 megabits per second. Yeah, you need a board. I did. I need a new motherboard. There was a point where my upload speed was actually higher than my download speed, which I thought was hilarious. I should just rent out upload uh, to my neighbors. If you guys need to put documents on there, come on by. Do you need to download them? Go home. Oh, Lord. No, everybody else's Wi-Fi in my house works great. Just the Wi-Fi on my desktop is terrible. That would be your motherboard. Yeah, my phone is 10 times faster. So, anyway. So, today we're talking about Dungeons & Dragons, Thomas's favorite subject ever. (laughs) <laughs> oh, and look, I wore a shirt, a relevant oh. shirt. Oh, my gosh. So, um, <laughs> I'm not good with reverses. Awesome. So, this is Games Master's Microcon 6, which was a store. I'm going to say it was because I'm pretty sure they went out of business. When I worked there, they were going through Chapter 11. And then I know they went through bankruptcy at least one more time. So, that was 20 years ago. I'm going to go ahead and assume they're gone. Probably, um, yeah. Yeah, Lovely. it's hard. It's a hard business to be in. But um, I went to this convention and helped work at it. I'm not going to say I helped run it because I ran stuff at the convention from, although everybody that works at a convention runs stuff from wherever the resource hub is out to whoever needs it, right? I think we've all ran bottles of water to rooms or whatever um, when working at conferences. Um, so I ran yes. at that conference. I didn't run the conference. And um, that got me introduced to kind of the, I guess, the idea of of using gamification elements to help assist in other things, right? So there were, you know, games around registration, so to speak. And and there was different contests about, I mean, and this was in the 90s, so it's not like we had, you know, a tweet per minute contest or whatever. But there there were those kinds of things. Are you making fun of me? (laughs) You? Would I make fun of you? Oh, no. yeah, in a heartbeat. Anyway, gamification. Well, and, and that's yeah, a whole, that, yeah, that would be a whole other interesting podcast, too, to talk about um, ways that you can gamify conference stuff without it just being numbers, without it being stuff like that, right? Like, how do you measure engagement and actual and increase in value for a conference experience isn't just, you know, the tweets, but what's in them and then how are they responding to? So it's a much harder metric. So I think a lot of people look at that and, and and it's not like they're blind to the fact that there's a deeper thing there. They look at it and they realize what it would take to actually, you know, judge that and manage that. And they're like, yeah, cool. Tweets per minute it is. 
So <laughs> even if I even if I laugh about it, it's not because I, I it's not, I'm not judging everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, for reference, um, I was in charge of a um, conference. I wouldn't say I was in charge of. I was part of it. And uh, ran we did a tweet contest. So he is he is making fun of me, but that's OK. And, and for those exact reasons, actually, because if you have to have those numbers by the end of the conference to give something away there, there isn't a, a good way to truly judge the content, which no, it has to bring be up a, a valid uh, point. Yeah, It has to be somebody's like entire job devoted mm-hmm. to that, to, 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 to increasing your own engagement with that experience as a conference. Um, um, I was going to say TO from from the gaming world tournament organizer, but you know, as a conference organizer, as a conference uh, um, team, to to be able to to come out in, in you know, especially if it's a one day conference, right? To come out at, at the end of that day and say, you know, here's our winner, or um, you know, to be willing to say it's going to take us a week and then we're going to announce the winner and send it to you anyway. And if it's the conference is in person that people aren't going to like that. But if the conference is already virtual, you know, you're getting your gift mailed to you. I don't know. That might be a thing, but we'll, we should talk about that some other time. Yeah. No, we're not talking about conferences right now. We're talking about uh, gamification. (laughs) Yeah. And so I like the idea of gamifying things. And I saw that there was a flood of people putting games in courses in experiences. And I said to myself, that's not what I want to do. I don't want to put games in courses. I want to use the things that make games successful to also make courses successful. Oh, thank you for saying that because um, in my experience, a lot of gamification is, oh, well, if they get the right answer, then, oh, they get a badge. Mm, That's not really motivating. It motivates some students, but not all. Like you need to have a, a deeper purpose for it. So. Yeah, and the, and the, so two two sides of that, right? Like as far as gamify the course and gamify the grades, and now they're competing for the grade that they want against themselves. Normally, hopefully, right? You're not putting teams against each other in some sort of a. I've seen it. I I've seen that too. Tribute um, setup. Um, yeah, I think we've seen. It. Which also um, has pluses and minuses because there is there is research tied to peer pressure. <laughs> Sadly. Well, I don't think yeah. it's the best way to do it, but you know, in a capitalist society, eh, it might not be a bad say, way to yeah, go. As a as a pre-stated master equivocator, let me go ahead and argue with myself and say that if you're trying to create a situation where people are playing for a pot of imaginary money as a team of entrepreneurs or inventors as part of a design class or whatever, then yes, by all means, ignore me, ignore <laughs> the the me from two minutes ago and listen to me now. <laughs> and that's how I always get argued with and listened to, right? Because I'm a master equivocator. So the the idea of putting a worksheet in front of somebody is something that, that we've all experienced as educators. Mm-hmm. And then what is that worksheet actually for? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very, very valuable tool that maybe gets, uh, um, you, you know, vilified as, as part of a process that isn't, isn't utilized um, in too many different ways. And I think each educator maybe builds their own, right? They get stuff that they have to use and then they put stuff together on their own or they, they reject the idea of a worksheet and, and build something that's clunkier, but actually serves the same purpose as, as worksheets in their mind uh, as a guide to learning, right? Is a, is a worksheet a guide to the lecture that they're that they're receiving it in? Is it a guide to a learning process for an assessment? 
Is it um, a tool to be used by somebody that understands something already? So right now that the whole worksheet um, idea has a, a horrible negative stigma attached to it, especially coming out of the COVID pandemic because everybody uploaded their worksheets online and that was it. And they were just like, oh, work's done. And I think... I think this is really a valuable topic to talk about because I love the idea where I know you're about to go with this because it attaches creativity to that worksheet rather than it just being, you know, and, and in certain subjects, I think maybe they, they do have a purpose in, in math. You have to practice whether you want to agree with that or not. You're not going to do it once and remember it forever. Those worksheets do have value. Now, are they the best way to go about it? You know, that's debatable. But when mm-hmm. you need practice, they're not well, you know, the funny always thing, bad. Um, that shouldn't be uh, your go-to, right? But it's, y- yesterday it's not on, bad. Uh, um, yesterday on teacher Twitter, I love calling it teacher Twitter. That's what it the, is. Um, the idea came up that, that we're testing people for a certain kind of knowledge and a certain kind of ability. And the people that, the Sorry. people that don't excel at, the people that don't excel at rote memorization and rep and, and then, and then regurgitating that suffer because of it. But also the other side of it is people like me, where I found it extremely easy to memorize facts and dates and stuff for a test that was only, you know, two weeks away, but I didn't have any deeper understanding of the processes or anything that I would have needed for, for later on. And so somebody like me can get A's in algebra one and geometry and eventually algebra two, and then go into college and try to take trigonometry and physics and utterly fail out because it wasn't about, oh, did you memorize these things for two weeks? It was about these fundamental ideas that I didn't have. And so both sides of the equation kind of suffer when you focus on just one kind of uh, assessment. So that idea led to um, what you were alluding to a minute ago with this idea that that if you don't like worksheets, then why don't you help the students create their own guided worksheets to their own learning and make it part of a, you know, a group assignment if you want. And I started thinking about um, the ways worksheets are presented, right? So you've got a page, you've got two pages, you've got three pages, and you're trying to get main ideas across. You're trying to maybe guide them through some sort of, of lecture that you're going to be giving. So you've got, you know, 45 minutes to talk to them about bones. And so now you're looking at, okay, I've got two pages of white space. What do I give them to support the lecture I'm about to give them on bones, right? Like, how do you divide up bones? Are there major areas of bones? Do I divide them up by, you know, function and size or flavor? Like, how do you divide up the human bones? Not flavor. (laughs) And so the... um, the idea started coming to me, well, there's all these different approaches, right? Like every single teacher has all these different approaches. Well, like, you know, I know they're going to need to do repetition of, of, um, of uh, terms. They're going to need to go over these things. They're going to look at pictures. They're going to need to label pictures. So there's going to be images that are labeled and unlabeled. And some of them that have um, pre predetermined spots that need to be labeled for various reasons, you know, diagrams and everything that we see in all of the um, publisher content with different pieces of it stripped away for the students to fill in as, as guides to their learning. And so that connected to my idea of this, you know, the placeholder for learning, which I hope I've, I've adequately explained, but I'd like to keep explaining it, that um, you're not gonna be able to get it all into their heads in that 45 minutes, right? You can't teach 
than yes. every bone in 45 minutes. So you want to create a placeholder for learning so that when they either get to their next point of study or to their point of assessment, there's a, there's a logical path in their mind to go back from that to the, to the study place, to the worksheet material, to the original lecture. So you say, that's a conference, uh, that's a conference presentation right there. And my wife is going to be embarrassed because I don't know anything about bones. And I chose to use bones in this example. Oh, no. Because yeah. <laughs> I didn't build a guided worksheet for my own study of bones. And I got a D in biology. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so if, if, um, if you were trying to teach this to me, God forbid, or, or hopefully a student, and you let them pick, you know, three study items out of a, a choice of five, and then build their own guided worksheet. So they're going to say, well, look, I know I need to go over. They're going to say, I need to go over the, um, I need to go over the terms. I need to know the names because the, the, the professor has stated that we're going to need to know the Latin names and the names of all of the, the bones in this area that, that we're studying. Let's say there's the, a lot the, of bones. Yeah. Let's say just the skull. And so you're, you're, you're breaking down the, the bones in the skull and you're making your own, you know, flashcards or you're utilizing publisher content or some kind of digital content to reinforce this. And then the idea of the worksheet would also have a time length attached to it. So the students would be choosing, you know, 25 minutes of guided study through terminology and 30 minutes of repetition of pictures of the different layers so that I can see which bones are connected inside of the skull in different ways so that the knowledge begins to build onto itself. And then I would do another um, reinforcement activity of like five minutes of the terminology. And then you get into the other, you know, main one uh, that you've chosen out of the three. And let's say now you're building your own image map. So now the students have gone from, from learning the terminology, repeating the terminology, looking through different layered images of all of the, the bones and the things that they're connected to. And now they've gone into the creation step themselves at the end of it. So they've guided this whole process from the beginning. And then if you, you want to go hog wild with it, you bring them back into class, have them trade worksheets with each other, have them give the students a rubric of what it means to build these learning activities for each other, assess people's rubrics, I mean, assess people's worksheets um, across group lines, use them again for study, and then assess that process. And then uh, I dare you to tell me students get a lower grade than they would have uh, just being given the material and sent off on their own. There were three things in there that you hit on that um, are not only near and dear to my heart, <laughs> but they're also proven in the research at this point. Peer-to-peer um, -peer interaction. And especially if you're doing this online, that then it becomes essential. I mean, you have to have that peer-to-peer -peer, um, interaction on the online space. Um, the creativity bent of it is really surging right now. And it also opens up student choice and student expression, which I love. And um, my, my heart of hearts is uh, project-based learning. So anytime you talk about an assessment with a rubric as a base, I get very excited because it's it takes the subjectivity out of grading 
And it really helps helps the, fo- the student focus on the content that you need them to master. And what you're describing right now isn't new in the K through 12 classroom. It's basically teach the teacher. You hand over all of the material and you give them a scaffold of, okay, here's what I need to know about the plates in the brain. And then you have your rubric that shows exactly, you know, which ones that make sure that they highlight all of this information. And then you turn it over to them and let them use their own creativity and their own expression to teach it back to you. And then you assess whether or not they they hit all the points. And that is such a better way of teaching than just putting something in front of a kid and say, okay, label this. Because now they have to synthesize something and they are actually making those connections so that you have a, a deeper level of learning and you have that 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 student individual um, expression or however they want to to whatever modality they want to use to express it out to their classmates. Uh, so they're more likely to remember it. So this model actually works really well. If Yeah, I didn't make it up. I learned it from from <laughs> listening to successful science teachers like my wife and and other colleagues and, and going to conferences and, and listening to people and looking at the, I'm going to say the data, but the information that they presented and the, the, the data that, that they were able to gather and share, which is, it's not so always large. So why do you think people sets, don't do it? Yeah. Why do you think people won't use it? It's a lot of work. Uh, is it? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a shift of the, of the focus. I mean, yes, it's easy to pull out a, a worksheet that you've used every year and slap that down in front of your student. But if you design the lesson, it's just as easy to slap down that lesson every year. Right. So put the work in is, is my <laughs> that's that's my plea. Like, let's, please, let's put the work yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's something that is, I guess it it's hard to. It's hard to incorporate into metrics for success from an administrative level to say. No, that, it's not. No, well, it's no, no, not. no, 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 no. To say <laughs> that it's going to take somebody to go from zero to 60, right? And their first semester, you're not going to want them to do stuff like this. And their second semester, you're going to want them to think of stuff like this. And your third semester, you're going to want them to start doing stuff like this. And then in the fourth semester, they're two years teaching. Um, you're going to, or the fifth semester, you're going to want them to, to be doing stuff like this, right? So like, the, the next thing I thought of is where do you where do you start from? And like me, I start from um, finding fault with everybody else. So you take <laughs> you take the worksheets that you're given, right? No toxic positivity on this podcast. <laughs> no, just like the um, just like the um, what what do, what do pearls come out of? Clams, oysters, oysters. Yeah, I only know stuff about what I know about. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, got to be in biology. So, so oysters, you know, they don't, they don't make pearls out of good stuff. They make pearls out of a piece of sand, right? The grit, the stuff that pisses them off. Pissed off oysters uh, will give you the best stuff. So, so be a, be a pissed off oyster when you look at your own worksheets, right? And go through there and, and think about, okay, this was the, this was the part of the assessment that, that the students weren't getting. So this thing that the district is making me use, I'll still use. But now I know I need to reinforce this, um, and that's what I got from D and D character sheets. So, for so, do you think I should just describe this stuff? Should I share my screen? Should I do both? Obviously, 
Um, I don't think I can do a screen share with you. Okay, perfect. So that works. Then I, I have to describe it. So most D&D character sheets are um, two or three pages. Dungeons & Dragons, a role-playing game. I'm assuming most people have at least heard of it. But the idea in Dungeons & Dragons is that you're your character. You, you have a, a hopefully a, a role to play in your mind. And you're going to go out and, and achieve things based on some dynamics that you've created for your character. So you've got six abilities that determine your um, success at a bunch of different things. And one of the things that I really like over time is of those six ability scores, it used to be that the score itself was the most important. So that on the character sheets, the score was a larger box, and then the modifier that is determined from that score was a smaller box. And it took like 15 years for D&D's character sheets to catch up to the changes in D&D's game. So it's been 15 years since you needed that number in the game at all. And it was still larger on the character sheet than the modifier. The modifier you need every five or six minutes while you're playing a game. Every time you roll a dice to determine what your character does, you need to know that modifier. You never need to know the number anymore. And so it was, it was kind of funny where everybody that had been playing the game their whole lives, they didn't notice. They were immediately transferring the number into the modifier in their heads because we all had the chart memorized from age 12. Um, but for new people, they'd come in and they'd be like, oh, okay, the what? I need to know the what? I need to know the what? And it, it, it took that long for somebody to click over in, in um, character sheet making. And now the number is the small box and the modifier is the big box. So you can look down the list and say, okay, I roll a D20 and I add a plus two. You don't need to go, oh, I roll a D20. I have a 14 dexterity. Now I have to know that, uh, oh, look, there's the little box. And so the idea that on this character sheet, there's all these things in the character sheet that's provided by the company that makes the game. There are all these things that are extremely valuable to you if you know what you're doing. If you're a learner and it's your first time playing, it just looks like an Excel sheet barfed up some tables. And it doesn't... <laughs> there's... there's um, let, me, let me look at it. There are abbreviations all over the place. There are things that are in bold. There are things that are in light gray that are almost impossible for me to read. Um, you are describing a um, bilingual learner's first look at uh, a computer science class. <laughs> right. There's boxes that are that are only explained by um, what the hell does this mean? By initials, yeah. And none of it is built around what you're probably going to be doing in the game most of the time. And this is the upgraded one. This is the one that I'm impressed with now. There are alternatives. Now, the beautiful thing about the company is when you go to their character sheets list, there's a fifth edition, which is what we're in now, character sheet zip package, which has like 10 different character sheets in it. Then there's the character sheets from the starter set, which are a little friendlier. Then there are alternative character sheets that have been made by other people and included in the official download. And one of my absolute favorites so while, while you're pulling that up, they mm -hmm. recognize that their sheet may not be the best and they're they're pulling their user sheets to incorporate? I believe so. It was at least created by a group um, 
they frequently have people working and playtesting things before they're released. So they'll have a, you know, they're called modules, right? So your experience levels, you know, five through eight or whatever. Um, and there's four to six people in your group. So they'll release small books that are, that are specific, uh, um, uh, storylines for that. And they'll, they'll run those through people and then adjust them based on it. So they're, they're incorporating a lot of learner feedback already, but it did. It took a long time for the character sheets to get updated. But instead of, instead of just saying, like, here's the character sheet, right? This is the official character sheet. You've got to use it. Even even incorporating people's changes into that character sheet, I think people would have been happy with. But to include, you know, eight different alternatives um, and optionals, I think, uh, goes beyond that into into stuff that, that what we're talking about, right? Where you go beyond compliance, you go beyond utilizing the resources a little better and all the way into pour, pouring your, your time and your effort into making a bunch of different options for students and learners no matter what kind of style they might come in as quote unquote that they can pick one and submit it and the, the way that this would be you know translated into the online environment would be you you post a lecture you post a transcript of the lecture you post um timestamps of different topics covered in the lecture linked out to a document that explains how and why those relate to not only the assessment but to the overall course and if you know if the stuff sounds exhausting it's because it is it's a lot of work but in the end um the 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 feedback mechanism if you if you keep reinforcing it like this it, it's it's great well that's a key word there too feedback right and hopefully it won't take a teacher 15 years to discover that their initial character sheet sucks or it's too difficult for low-level learners and they will adapt more quickly. Um, I had this discussion with a lady that I actually game with online. <laughs> so um, I, I dare say this out loud, but I'm a huge Fallout fan. I'm going to get lots of hate for that. Probably. But yeah. her and I... Um, I'll be sending it. She's a she's a scholar over in England and she and I were discussing gamification as a process and she says, you know, there's not a manual for Fallout. There I mean there's a there's press A to jump blah blah blah, but there are so many other layers to that game. So how do you as a player get better? And it's through interaction with other players who understand more than you do. So it's not always about just the teacher. So I love that D&D recognizes their faults as the teacher and incorporates that peer feedback into it. And that that's effective. And the... Um I guess the at the operational level, like what does it look like? Why do I like some of these other character sheets better? Mm -hmm. And the ones that are designed for people to guide them through a process. One of them, for instance, has they, they've all got you know boxes, rectangles that contain rules and data and, and, and optional choices that the characters choose while they fill out and create themselves, and while the players create the characters. Sorry, the characters don't create themselves. We don't want to get too far into that. Sure, they do. <laughs> the story writes itself. Well, we've got too much geekiness going on already. <laughs> like dial they it down, of, dial it down. Of, they kind of do. <laughs> um, and anyway, and and then um, the ones that I really like guide you through the process. So, for instance, it says, "I want Scaffolding. to hit something," mm -hmm. and it has a picture of the dice you would use, and it has choices. Right? I want to hit something 
you know, with my axe. I want to hit something far away, right? And what am I using? I have a crossbow. I want to hit something with a spell. What do I have? And you know, and how far away it is. And it has a little predetermined boxes for it. Now, one of the uh, weaknesses of the initial character sheets is they had very specific areas to put very specific information, right? So it said, you know, range. It said, you know, a little thing for ammunition. It said a little thing for this, a little thing for that. And so if you didn't immediately know what those abbreviations were or what kind of weapon, or maybe the weapon you picked was from a newer book and it didn't use the same kinds of things. And so now the character sheets itself are a detriment to you even getting started. And so the newer character sheets, they just have boxes. Yeah, you, you got a weapon, you want to draw it, draw it. You want to put you know, a description of it or write a page number. That makes me happy. Right? Oh. And so you're no longer limited by these predetermined areas. They give That's you a lot of the same boxes, right? So now mm. we've got the picture on there. It tells you which dice to use. It has, a, it has a space for you to say, oh, and then on the other side, it says, hey, I've been hit by somebody, right? What happens <laughs> to me? You have armor, right? Like, oh, no, it's gone through my armor and hurt me. Like, well, you have hit points. And then it's like, oh, no, I've lost all my hit points and I'm dying. And then what do you do when you're reduced to zero and you have death saves and you have life saves uh, or life? If you, if you roll successful on a death save, you can come back up out of zero hit points and get back into the fight. And then it's like, you know, I will have potions. I have inventory. I have gold. I have friends. I have I have things wrong with me called flaws. Like all these things are listed on the character sheet from the perspective of the player going through the experience and not an expert using a tool. So they both have value, right? And you would expect, I guess, eventually a player to want to, um, you know, level up out of that intro character sheet, right? When they say, I don't, I don't need a picture of the dots anymore. I got it. And then there's, so, there's still one, better character sheets too. One of the, oh, I, I had a thought about how it, as you start to play the same people over and over again, do you find that they they tend to develop their characters in like like do they have a personal formula that they tend to follow? Like maybe a melee player or maybe a a ranged player or or I mean, do you find that that they play a certain way over and over again, or do you find that they alternate their their creative bent? To try to throw so there, people off. There's meta, yeah. There's a there's a meta aspect to it too, where players are playing for a certain you know, goal, right? Like somebody somebody may have wealth acquisition as as their goal in their head, and they may not even realize that their character that they thought was doing something else is actually focused on wealth acquisition. And so even if they make 10 different characters, if they still think about like, you know what I mean, gathering treasure and getting items and using them. And that's still wealth acquisition, right? Whereas you may have somebody else that may step in and say, oh, you know, I'm a monk with a vow of, of poverty. <laughs> and like every time they give them treasure and money, like they literally just give it away to NPCs. And, and that may drive other characters nuts. I can right? see that. So I'm trying to tie that back to if you're an online learner, and you're participating in some kind of peer peer to peer um, interactions, mm -hmm. and you have, I mean, inherently you have some learners that have these blind spots, so mm -hmm. they may not cover all of the material. So you have 
as as a peer, you have to recognize that within the course, but also as the facilitator, right. how are you going to how are you going to manage that student weakness, that student blind spot? Yeah. Right. And then I think the the um the obvious and wrong answer is to make groups with really rigid, predetermined roles, right? Like oh, I I'm, hate the, that idea. I'm the secretary yeah. of the group. I'm yeah. the court jester. I'm the okay, that one's probably a bad example. But um, <laughs> right, like the treasurer, like what what dynamic are you creating in this group and for what purpose? So when I was in uh, my graduate degree, not making friends, um, I was put in a group. And on day one, when somebody suggested that, I was like, we're not doing that. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, we're not doing roles. Like, this is a group of professionals in a graduate degree. We're all doing everything. We're all doing research. We're all doing design. We're all doing building. We're all going to decide on stuff. We're all going to make separate web pages. And I'm going to tie them together. And it's all going to look great. We're going to get an A. And there's no other answer. And um, three out of four people were cool with that. But there's always that one. <laughs> yeah, and that was that And was as a facilitator, how do you handle that one? And I have a I have a personal preference on that, but I want to hear your take before I Well, and that's that a one. that's a perfect example of, of a terrible um, use case because mm-hmm. I, I guess I have an overbearing personality at times. No. Yeah, she's making fun of me now. <laughs> <laughs> you are strongly opinionated and there are people who can handle that. And then there are people who feel like you're steamrolling them. So you yeah, gotta, you yeah. know, there's that, that balance in that, in that group. I'm a steamroller too in the group. Cause I'm like type a, I'm getting an a, whether you, whether you contribute or not, I'm getting the a. Right? And I, yeah. And I think there's also when three out of four people immediately agree on something and the fourth person doesn't, but doesn't have a dynamic for, doesn't have any reason to, to think that their their um, arguments or, or or dissatisfaction is going to be incorporated, right? Like I that that's that's part of the issue. So one of the group members never really signaled that anything was wrong, and then at the end of the project, we were asked to give each other a grade, and this grade was going to be averaged together with the other two group members, and then anonymously added to our semester. Two that of them, is not the way to go. Two of them gave me a 95 and one of them gave me a, like a 50. Yeah. Right. And so, and we got an A on our project. It was great. Um, according to me. And, the two. <laughs> and, and, and I thought we turned out a good product, but there was something about the dynamic in the group that they were completely dissatisfied with. And I've had to, and then I had to go back with that group. And think like one of these people secretly hates really me. Really hates me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they were the only one. I was the only one. I think that that somebody had done that to. And so I've I had that hate experience many that times. Group dynamic. Mm-hmm. Hate it. I do too. I loved the product. I loved the group. I loved the group dynamic right up until that moment. Mm-hmm. I thought we were all working together well, and so it doesn't mean that I was you know, stabbed in the back at the end of a project. It means there was no dynamic for group feedback built into it from the beginning to know that somebody was that dissatisfied. Or, you know, my output, my behavior, something changed during the, the from, from planning to implementation uh, 
but but for you know the other two people to give me 95s and one of them to give me an f um it's pretty yeah. obvious who had the grudge <laughs> Some, well yeah and it was anonymous so it just made me frustrated at all three of them i, I like I don't mind the peer feedback piece, but I don't mm-hmm. think that that should be part of the assessment grade. And for that reason, exactly, because you have personal dynamics, right? Yeah. Uh, I look at those as opportunities. Um, and no feedback. recourse for feedback. From yeah, either, nothing, right? yeah. nothing. And I'm like, what? 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 I don't even I don't even know who said it. Um, I think those kind of things need to be built into the project as well. The 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 team aspect of it, the communication piece of it, because that's very much part of reality. You are going to have that one person on your team who just hates you and doesn't want to do anything with you. And you're like, what, why? And I mean, so you still have to deliver this product at the end of the day in industry. So you have to have that, that teamwork dynamic. You don't have to like each other, but you have to respect each other. You have to do your job. So I, I usually build that into the rubric as a communication piece and it's not again it's tied to the grade but the grade is not dependent on people liking you it's more of did the person do this did the person do this and it's always very measurable it's never subjective because you don't want to leave any room for you know because they're gonna go they're gonna go the negative way if they have that ability so I have had evaluations in my actual courses where I despise the professor and I could not wait to blast him on that evaluation. But I got to the evaluation and did he do this? Well, damn it. Yes. Did he do this? Yes. Damn it. And he did it really well. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. So I'm going down the checklist. And as much as I hated that guy, he still hit everything he was supposed to hit. And at the end, I had to begrudgingly admit that, okay, fine, I learned something from him, even though I didn't really like, didn't like him as a yep. person, right? And that's why you don't ask people about their satisfaction in a learning unit. That's a podcast. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't even get the sentence out without getting exhausted because I've, I've, I've talked about it so much in my, in my professional life, right? Don't ask people how happy they are after learning about bones, mm-hmm. they're yeah. not fucking happy. They might be informed about bones, but they're not going to be happy about it. That's the other. Um, that's the other thing trend I'm seeing right now that that I also have a problem with. You know, student satisfaction. It helps, but at the end of the day, and and that's a perfect that's a perfect metaphor for it, right? Um, I don't want to learn about bones but it's part of my job. So I really need to know it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not gonna like it, but I'm gonna do it. And I think that there are some places that student satisfaction really shouldn't matter. But right, here, here's a perfect example. You you get told gamification's cool. You're like, cool, mm-hmm. I'm gonna put in you know Jeopardy. I'm gonna do PowerPoint Jeopardy in my classroom, which I think is great fun. I loved it as a student. But if you do it at the wrong point in the learning and they don't have enough of the learning done to be able to participate in the game, it's not reinforcing anything. It's just making them feel out of place. And so now the only people who are competing are the two Yahoo's smart kids. that read the whole textbook or the person that was held back. That was one of my favorite experiences in Algebra 2 was being 
the student that secretly failed it because he, he had uh, pneumonia and broke his leg in one semester. And so I had to take all of Algebra 2 over again and was able to just ace everything and no one knew why. It was great. Um, so yeah, unless you're one of those kids, um, you're not able to, to participate in a game in a way that makes it fun. So that's why I've always tried to focus on what are you actually assessing, right? If you come out of it and you're like, they didn't like it. They didn't like the game. Are you sure? Where was the game? When did you do the game? What kind of game did you do? And and just like we talked about earlier, where you've got the teams competing for one fund for an entrepreneurial um, uh, game experience, makes perfect sense. You wouldn't do that with second graders and reading, right? Like only one of you gets to take a book home. Whoever reads the best gets the book. The rest of y'all can look through the window as they read, right? Like, no, you're not going to do that there. It's a terrible so example. That's, a, that's actually a great a great time to contact an instructional designer because before you, and I've seen it so many times in K through 12 where they will initiate a game that doesn't, it's not inclusive of everyone. It does only, I mean, you're only getting the top 10% participation because Mm -hmm. everybody else still doesn't understand. I think that is the perfect time to, if you, if your game fails so bad, it's not because these kids are stupid. No, it's because you did not assess where they were before you went there. And if you're using that as a piece of formative feedback, that should be a red flag for you as a teacher. Oh, crap. Like these kids aren't, they're not engaging. I need to go back and go over this material again, at least with the bottom 90% and give these extra 10% some kind of supplemental, you know, something else to do. Um, yep. And, and That ties back to our our needs assessment, which we've talked about, but unfortunately went straight in the can. So we'll talk about it again sometime. Yeah, we Um, will. Once we get some emotional distance from it, we'll do it again. And and, and before we move on too far about that, I want to talk about a a perfect, um, I'm going to say hilarious example of a game not being inclusive. The the game that I play is a a miniatures game with with, uh, either fantasy figures or figures in the future, sci-fi figures. And one of the rules in one of these spells used to say something along with something along the lines of, you know, pick up the casting model with your right hand and put your left hand on the battlefield somewhere. And one of right hand. <laughs> so one of the painters I follow uh, on Twitter is is one-handed uh, painting. I wish I could remember his actual Twitter oh. name, but it's something along there. And so he he made a video where he he tried to cast this spell and was like, "What the fuck, guys? Wow. I guess it fails. I guess I can't cast the spell." And so the new edition doesn't have shit like that in it. Nice. And so stuff nice. like that, yeah. And you might not even you you can't immediately feel like the villain if this happens to you in the classroom. You're not a villain. It's what you do next. Exactly. That's so true. Right. Everybody I mean, learns this the first time. Somewhere. So true. Yeah. A lot of us, I think, learned it in the in the classroom or in the teaching environment. Mm-hmm. Um, Usually, at the do? expense of some child. <laughs> it is, <laughs> thankfully, in America, it's always at the expense of the children. Well, you know, I've, I've had a couple experiences like that myself. I had a we had kids that had to. Um, we were making cards for people in in old folks' homes. And one of my students made a card and he said, oh, I know you're suffering from cancer. I did too. And I hope everything feels better. I was like, you can't write that. And he says, yes, I guess I can. I mean, I was like, no, you didn't have cancer. And the kid next to him was like, yeah, he did. I was like, oh, 
I am an awful human being. Mm. But those are moments that you mm. can admit your like, this is my humanity as a teacher. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't I didn't know. And I'm a, I'm an idiot. And so. You know, those are teachable moments for us as well. <laughs> so I, I don't mind having my blind spots. Yeah. They, they well, and I lost, uh, um, I lost any, 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 um, I don't know, frustration about that it, it, early on in life. At, at, at 27, my first wife died of leukemia. And so when you're like 28, 29, and you say something like, oh, yeah, my first wife, you know, my, my previous wife, my previous marriage. People oh. just assume it didn't, you know, work Divorce. out, right? Like she yeah. just ran on. And so oh. if you're like me and you're into dark humor, you just start incorporating it, right? And you're like, you know, and you hear about somebody and you're like, oh yeah, you know, my first wife and like, oh, don't worry. She had the decency to die. Like, <laughs> she didn't run off on me. <laughs> and, like, and that goes back to group work. You know, that flavor doesn't work with everybody in the group. Yeah, 295s and 150. I mean, that about speaks to it. No, and, and that way, um, it takes an uncomfortable situation and, and makes it worse in like different ways. Um, <laughs> sometimes, yes, sometimes, though. It depends yeah. on the sense of humor. But Well, and it's, it's like if you've got an entrance joke like that or an entrance um, activity for your students to do that, that will set the tone for the semester, I don't suggest that. <laughs> but if you have something where you come into it, you know, and if you've got, you know, for instance, a criminal justice class where you're going to be showing people autopsies, I, I think it's appropriate to, to show them something on, on day one, mm. right? Like you're going to bring people into this world and you're going to show them what's going on. You, you got to bring them into it um, to, t to tie my insane sense of humor back into something relevant. <laughs> Um, let me look at my notes one more time. I was about to say, how do we put a bow on this? I actually did hit every topic I had in my notes without really going back to them, except for my Bruce Lee quote. Um, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Mm. And to think about that from you know, the learning perspective, if you try to introduce all of the bones in 45 minutes and expect the students to follow on, along on their own learning journey from that without a really good plan for how they're going to divide it up, how they're going to refer back to the lecture, where are the placeholders for learning that you created? Do they have a guided worksheet that they can use to not only build their own knowledge, but refer back to later on uh, as a study guide for the assessment? And then we can talk about all the digital ways to create these assets too, I guess, in a follow-up uh, show. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally down with that because um, to this day, well, I say that and now I'm thinking about it. I don't think I can do it anymore. But I had a history teacher at one point in high school that made us play Four Corners to memorize all of the presidents in order. What's and Four they were Corners? Sitting, you had to imagine them. You had to visualize the president sitting in the corner. But instead of visualizing the, the face, there was some kind of symbolism that went with that particular um that particular president so uh george washington was uh you had a cherry tree over there and then you had um i don't even remember anymore but it stuck with me for years until i stopped using it so i i love that again that works for some students that doesn't work for others and i'm i'm of the i'm i'm of this opinion at this point in my life that you can't teach it one way Mm -hmm. 
there's just too many there's just too many students that are falling through the cracks because of your personal arrogance as a teacher and i can say that because i i had it and i felt it so i'm not just picking on teachers i i was a teacher for many years and i saw my students dropping and that that just was not acceptable to me so at this point we have to find new and innovative ways and gamification that includes everyone um it's it's a little bit of a unicorn but it is it is doable it's doable if you take the student satisfaction piece out of it i think so too and an interesting gamification um course that that one of our our colleagues helped put together for um one of the departments on campus was to use a um essentially the idea of an escape room but not you not either you get out or don't but how far out of the room you get so to speak is the grade you achieve so it really did let the students kind of say um you know french poetry is cool and all but i'm not going to do that right i'm not going to do all that it takes to get an a and it was phrased a certain way where it was really like it's not that big of a deal like you do these things and you get a d then you do these things you get a c you do these things you're one of the people that gets a b and if you're one of the people that does all of these things within this timeline and reinforces it this way then you're one of the people that gets all of the different badges that equal an a and so in that one they were able to use you know badges and coins and that kind of thing where you were gathering together of, of different colors and then you know once you got a certain number of, of each you were able to achieve a grade at the end of the semester i think that kind of idea took the pressure out of it where instead of it being like oh man i didn't get 97 percent um you know kill rate on this game and now i don't get to get uh an a there was no in, unless you were deliberately missing the checkpoint dates to not get an A, right? If you just wanted to do it without worrying about the checkpoint dates, then you were getting a B, you're fine. Yeah. But if you wanted to do the checkpoint dates, if you wanted to be reinforced correctly, if you wanted to follow the schedule, then then you could get an A. And I think it- Oh, go ahead. It works, like gamification like that is great. And that was, that was a game, so to speak, included in a class, but I don't think the students thought of it as a game. It was the whole semester. That and, you know, I when you said escape room, my first my first reaction to those words is like, oh, that just uh, it sounds like torture working with other people. But my oldest daughter is obsessed with these things. So she drags me into one and I just come in kicking and screaming like, oh, I'm just going to do this for her. And secretly, although I'll never admit it, I had fun. <laughs> so, you know, those students that may give you that initial eh, just just try it out they, and you know what, they I might I even, discover something new i think i mentioned this project previously too because it was the one that that um she brought it to me and she went over it and i was like i don't get it i, I don't see what you're talking about i don't see how this is going to work i don't see how you're going to do this and it, it wasn't that i thought it was a bad idea it was literally like you know what i mean describing colors to a blind person like yeah. I don't care if it's right. red or blue. Like it has no impact on my my understanding of what needs to be done. It just didn't make any sense. And so I had to step back as a as a as a leader and say, like, yeah, do this. This sounds great for you to do. I don't get it. 
you know, come to me with technical questions and help, and I can help you figure out how to implement these different ideas, but I am not going to stand in your way or even pretend like I need to be in these meetings to do anything. Like, I'm just going to nod along. Like, no, you're in charge of this. You take this. So that's the kind of activity I would have what I would call an exit ramp for kids who mm. adamantly did not want to participate in something like that. Yeah. I always had an alternative activity that still taught them the same thing. Um, it was still project based because that's just how I roll. Um, but and that was yeah. the CPAP. It, to, to, to be just kind of do whatever you want to be on your own, to not worry about the schedule or the groups or the rooms, yeah. you could, you could take the class and get a seat. But the way that they were doing it, it was part of a really active dynamic. And I think a paper, uh, uh not a grant maybe actually, no, it was part of a grant too. So you were going to be in that class and you were going to kind of participate in that, or you could have basically take a different class. Uh, but I think, yeah, if it wasn't a semester long project, if it was something where you're like, okay, today, guys, you know, we're going to do this uh, competition I've designed to reinforce these things. And then, like you said, you know, if the exit ramp is you don't really want to feel like that, you don't want to talk today, um, you know, here's the guided lesson activity I have to do instead. That's it. Yeah, that works great. Just like if, if the students are like, you know, I have five 15-page papers to do. Could one of you guys let us do a video presentation? Right. Can we do a poster? Like, I think these things that get universal in certain disciplines, uh, like, for instance, the poster presentations, everybody understands it in the sciences. We don't have a lot of poster presentations uh, um, in the non art arts. Right. Like people yeah. aren't doing poster presentations at the well, I don't, I don't want to say they're not, but some schools do poster presentations for literature, poster presentations for poetry and poster presentations for um history does them i've seen those but you i know think, where they do them elementary and and middle school yeah they shouldn't be doing them there that's weird no it, it's phenomenal um Is my it? daughter oh, did good. one in, in middle school where they had a literary fair <laughs> it, they were all poster presentations they had to dress like their character and as you went from from poster to poster, they had to tell you about the the book they had read. Oh, okay, okay. So they weren't just done by. The Why course. can't we do that at the higher levels? Right, right, right. I was immediately thinking that they were just projects done by parents, but that sounds like the kid <laughs> actually has to be involved. Uh, some of them, yes, definitely had some parental guidance, but no. You know, and I was that parent for a little while. My son is autistic. He's fourteen now, and before he was fully medicated on the, on the medication now that helps him, helps him function in the reality that school forces on him. Um, it was a lot. And so he would come home just like drained and exhausted. And they'd be like, go make this diorama about Mark Twain or whatever. And, and he was just like, no, it was not going to happen. So yeah, I had to, I had to do a lot of it with him beyond the level that I think you would expect up until, and now in, in the eighth grade, he, he brings these projects home and I'm like, I give him advice. I'm like, I think you should maybe <laughs> like rewrite that. Like that looks pretty messy. Just for and, the record, we know. Oh, it's, I know. It's I know. fairly obvious. Oh yeah. 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 Well, this is <laughs> but what he did to me. if the student can answer the questions, then we're happy with that. You're going you're gonna to love what he did to me. He pulled out the rubric. Oh. And he was oh. like, we're not yes. being judged for neatness. Oh, nice. 
That's a bit sloppy, Dad. And just like the the gamification escape room class, I had to say, you know what? Apparently, you've got this. It happened the other day, too, when I was dropping off. I was trying to quiz him for his science test. And obviously, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. And so he's talking about like secondary succession and plants turning from, you know, turning an environment from smaller plants into bigger plants or whatever. And I understand it, but he knew it better. And so I was like trying to figure out some way to quiz him, like, because, you know, you're trying to help. And at one point, he just looked at me and he was like, I, I got it. And I was like, you know what? Evidently, you understand this better than I do. You go take your test. And he got like a nice. There's the goal the As teach parent, the yeah. teacher moment. That's it. It was That's beautiful. The goal. Yeah, that combined with him whipping the rubric out on me and just being like. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. For more instructional design tips, tricks, and resources, check out our website at disposabledesignpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Thomas underscore Sosby and at Ms. Zintech.